All right. You know, there's a verse that I ran across recently in my reading that I've been struggling with. I don't know about you guys. Do any of you ever struggle to read and understand and believe the things that are in the Bible? Anybody? Okay, those of you that nodded your head or raised your hand, you actually read the Bible. If you didn't, then you probably don't read the Bible, because here's what I can guarantee you. If you open the scriptures and start to read it, it ain't going to be too long before you come across something that is either confusing or just straight up difficult to believe. So the passage that I've been wrestling with is Ephesians chapter number two, verse 10, and I want to put it on the screen and maybe share with you why I find it kind of difficult. The scripture says here, Ephesians chapter number two, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe some of you get up, you stand in front of the mirror and you go, I am a masterpiece, baby. Look at me. You might do that, but I don't think most of us do. Okay. I don't think that's our typical response. I think when most of us look at ourselves, we're all too aware of our physical flaws, our intellectual limits, our past failures, or maybe even the negative things that have been spoken about us in times past. I I think this is one of those verses that's not hard to understand, but frankly, some days I just find it hard to believe. Anybody else with me on that one? You know, in fact, the thing that always comes to my mind when I see the word masterpiece in this, in this passage is this very famous story from Spain in 2012. Some of you are going to be familiar with this. I can assure you this is very true. You can Google everything I'm about to show you and tell you. So there's this ancient church in the country of Spain, and they have this painting of Jesus on one of their walls. It was done by a Renaissance master. Like it was a very, very special, valuable painting. People would come from all over the world to see this painting. I actually have a picture of it here. We can put it on the screen for you. Um, and and as, you, as you can see, over the years, the, the centuries that this thing was on the wall and it was exposed to the elements and people would walk by and high five Jesus or whatever it was they were doing, I don't know. It just started to deteriorate and it was looking pretty rough. And so the priests and the city council, you know, in this village, in Spain, they were like, we should really restore this to its former glory. Somebody said, oh, I know an artist here in the village. She could do this for us. And they said, great, let's hire her. She's local. I think that makes a lot of sense. Let's get her to come in and restore this very valuable photo or painting of Jesus. And so sure enough, she goes in and she gets all of her tools together and she works for weeks, you guys. Week after week after week, she is putting brush strokes on. She is repainting. She's making it pop and zing and whatever other word you want to use there. I mean, she is trying to restore this beautiful masterpiece to its former glory. At the end of about three weeks' time, she calls together everybody for the grand unveiling. And I promise you, this is exactly what happened. They pulled the curtain away, and this is what she had done to the masterpiece of Christ. (laughs) This is often called the monkey Christ painting because he looks like vaguely Simeon. It's like, okay, that's not good, you guys. Like, that is not good at all. Nobody's going to call this a masterpiece. Nobody's going to say that's a masterpiece. This, yes, that, mm, not so much. In fact, when I read in the scripture, God's saying, Dan, you are a masterpiece. I'm like, God, are you... Are you talking to me? Like maybe you meant him or her. I I don't know who you're talking to, but I'm not a masterpiece. If one of these paintings is going to represent me, I'm more on that end of the spectrum than I am on this end. Certainly masterpiece would not be one of the words that I would use to describe me, okay? Just for fun, 
Let me show you that this is not an isolated example. There was another case in 2018 of a church that had a very famous, very old painting of the Virgin Mary. And same situation. It had started to deteriorate. And they said, well, let's get somebody in to fix it. So they hired, believe it or not, this is, again, true story. They hired a furniture restorer. Now, furniture and paintings are different things, just so we're clear. Skill sets don't transfer, okay? So they hired a furniture restorer to come in and to fix or restore this painting of the Virgin Mary. And this is what they ended up with. This is the original on the left. And top right is what that furniture restorer did. Baby girl looks like she's got a TikTok filter on her face. You know what I mean? Where it's just, it's too smooth. It's too pointy. She probably had little hearts. I don't know. It's just like, this is also not good. In fact, the town council was so frustrated by this that they went to the artist and they said, you really botched this. You need to get yourself back in there and fix it and fix it right. So true story, the exact same artist went back a second time and they painted over it, and they ended up with what's on the bottom right. Oh, my goodness. Not good. Funny enough, both of these examples and instances happened in Spain. Spain, get your act together. I don't know what's going on there, but it's bad. Hey, I know what Ephesians 2.10 says about me. Dan, you're a masterpiece. But if I can be honest, most days I feel more like a mess than a masterpiece. Can anybody relate? I don't look at me and think, wow, you've got it together, buddy. You're looking good. Life is going good. Everything is on track. Everything is exactly as it should be. There seems to be this conflict inside of me regarding my identity. I'm often asking myself questions like, who am I? And what is it that defines me as a person? How do I handle the fact that my life hasn't turned out exactly the way that I expected it was going to? Why do I constantly compare myself to everybody else around me? When am I going to learn to just be comfortable being me? I know I'm not the only person that asks those questions on the reg. This is something we all struggle with. In fact, I believe most people here on earth struggle with some sort of crisis of identity. That is, they don't have a solid grasp of who they are, why they're here on earth, and what makes them worth loving. So what I want to share with you today is another one of the gifts of God that we've been given. And what I'm trying to do is highlight some of the gifts that are very important but often get overlooked. So I was talking with somebody in the church, and I was like, yeah, we're going to be doing this series on the, the gifts of God. And somebody's like, oh, I know what one of them is going to be. And I'm like, what? And they were like, Jesus. And I was like, well, gold star, I guess, you know. <laughs> yes, Jesus is the greatest gift that God has ever given us. I don't mean to denigrate that at all, but it's not Christmas. We can come up with some other gifts of God. It's like every Christmas message is like, Jesus is the gift. We all need it. Anyway, um, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to highlight the very important gifts of God that oftentimes just get overlooked for one reason or another. So today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the gift of identity that you and I have been given through Jesus, the gift of a new identity. In fact, I believe one of the keys to the process of sanctification in our life. Now, sanctification is a big fancy word. It just means the process by which we become more like Jesus over time. Like over time, I get better and better at following him so that I follow him more closely or my life more resembles his. That's all sanctification means. So this process of sanctification, one of the keys to it is that I start to see myself not as the world labels, identifies, or defines me, not as I might label or identify or define myself, but instead I see me the way that God sees me. 
This is so key to really living life overflowing and becoming the person that God wants you to be. So this morning, I want to give you three declarations that are taken precisely from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, this verse that we just read. And a declaration is something that is true, but that you need to remind yourself of, okay? This is something that is personal. It is first person. You're going to be speaking this about yourself because if you lose sight of these three truths or these three declarations, you can start to get very confused about who you are, why you're here, and what makes you lovable, all right? So here we go. Three declarations. I'm hoping they're going to help you to sink into your true identity in Christ. Let's start with the first one. Very simple. In Christ, I have a new nature. In Christ, I have a new nature, okay? All of us are born with what the Bible calls a sin nature. And I know that sounds kind of mean, and you're like, well, you call me a sinner, bro? Let's go. I'll fight you over this. I get it, okay? But having a sin nature simply means this. It's very straightforward. It just means that typically people will go their own way instead of God's way. It's just, I pursue what I think is best, not what God thinks is best. I won't typically do the good thing. I'll do whatever feels good. You with me? Don't do what's good. I do what feels good. I choose the path of least resistance. I do the thing that benefits me, even if it doesn't benefit you too very much. That's all a sinful nature actually means. And every single one of us have it. Every person on the planet is born with this sinful nature. In fact, in Ephesians chapter number two, verse three, the same passage that we're reading today, the apostle Paul points out all of us used to live by following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. There's that word. Then he says, by our very nature, we were all separated from God, just like everyone else. Now, this sinful nature is really important to acknowledge because our sinful nature, it warps how we see things. You are not able to see things the way you're supposed to. Our sinful nature prevents us from seeing ourselves clearly. Do you realize that? You, you probably don't actually see yourself as clearly as you think you do. Our sinful nature will push us towards one of two extremes. Either we will think way too much of ourselves. You ever met somebody like that? Maybe you're married to somebody like that. They just think way too much of themselves. Or on the opposite end, we think, oh, I'm nothing, I'm no good, I'm unlovable, nothing good could ever come out of me. We get pushed to one of two extremes because our sin nature warps how we view ourselves. Our sinful nature warps how we view one another. We actually don't look at one another as clearly as we are supposed to. Again, we get pushed to one of two extremes. So on the one hand, we live for other people's opinions. We value them too much. Having others' approval, it's like all we seek in life for some people. Others don't care about anyone else at all. It's like, y'all don't matter, okay? You're bit players in my story. I'm the star of the show, okay? We get pushed to one of these two extremes. So our sinful nature, it warps the way that we see ourselves, it warps the way that we see other people, and finally, it warps the way that we see God. We actually don't view God clearly because of our sinfulness. We have a sin nature, and it warps how we view things. But what Paul reminds the Ephesians here of is that God has given us a new nature in Christ Jesus. When we come to him, when we put our faith in Christ, we receive a new nature that allows us to see ourselves clearly, allows us to see one another more clearly, certainly allows us to see God clearly. Okay, the person that I used to be has died with Christ and a new nature has been given to me. I like the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He writes this. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. In Jesus, you have a new nature. You are a new person, a new creation. He said, the old life is gone. A new life has begun. 
The language that he uses here, and actually in another place in the, in the New Testament as well, is the language of metamorphosis, like a dramatic and drastic change. A change that is so great that what came before isn't linked to what came after, right? Think about like a caterpillar and a butterfly. Think about what a dramatic transformation or metamorphosis that little worm goes through so that it eventually becomes one of the most beautiful creatures in all of God's kingdom? Who would have ever guessed? In fact, this is crazy. Again, you can Google this. I want you to fact check me, please, on everything I say ever, particularly around the Bible, but even stupid trivia like this, fact check me. Humans did not actually discover that caterpillars and butterflies were the same animal until the 1600s. Did you guys know that? The change, the the transformation is so dramatic from the worm to that beautiful butterfly that people couldn't even believe that they were one in the same animal. Listen, if God can take a little worm and transform it like that, please know he can and will do the same thing for you. He will give you a new nature, a brand new one that is so different from your old nature that people who knew you then won't believe you're the same person. They're like, you're the same dude I went to high school with? Bro, you don't see them the same. Something's different. You seem happy. Life is going so well. What in the world is going on? How did you experience such a great transformation? And some of them will say, how can I experience that same sort of transformation? Hear me now. God will change you from who you have been, and he will turn you into something new. I had a conversation with somebody this week, and um, they were saying how this, this uh, family, they started coming to Connect Church. They had no church background, no faith background whatsoever. They started coming to Connect Church the first year. So about five years ago, six years ago, they came to church for the first time. And I'm having a conversation with them, and what the, the dad of this family told me is this. He said, I cannot believe how far we've come in six years. He said, we are like totally different people these days. And I'm like, yes, sir, you are. You are a new creature, a new creation in Jesus. Your old nature has gone. The new nature has come. He said, the people that I used to know, they don't understand what's happened to us. They don't get it. They can't explain it. They know things are different, but it's hard for them to even comprehend. It's like we were a worm. Now we're a butterfly. We've been given a new nature in Christ Jesus. This is part of the reason, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but part of the reason in the Bible, Old Testament, God does this, God the Father, and in the New Testament, Jesus does this, okay? It's why throughout the scripture, we see God changing people's names. He changes people's names. Did you know that? He's like, oh, your dad called you Abram? Nah, we're going to call you Abraham from now on. It's a different name. Jesus calls one of his disciples and he says, Simon, no, I don't like Simon. I'm gonna call you Peter from now on. Levi, no, you're a Matthew. Saul, no, you're gonna be a Paul, right? It's like the most alpha thing Jesus ever did. He just walked into somebody's life and gives them a new identity, right? That's the point. That's the reason it happens throughout the scripture. When God comes in, when you welcome Jesus into your life, you receive a new identity that's not tied to your family of origin, to your past experiences, to your current limitations. Instead, it is based on what God says about you, what he calls you, how he identifies you, how he labels you. This is what God does for us. He gives us a brand new nature in him. My friends, Every day, you ought to wake up, if you're a Christian, you ought to wake up and declare to yourself, I am a completely different person now. I have a new nature. 
You might as well change my name. Christ has already changed everything else about me. I used to be a sinner. Now I'm a saint. I used to hate myself, but now I know I'm loved by God. I used to be self-absorbed, but now I try to live by the fruit of the Spirit. I used to be a hope dealer, a dope dealer. Now I'm a hope dealer. There used to be me. That's a good line, but I screwed it up. There used to be. That's how it goes. I got it right in the first service. There was the old me. There was the part of me that everybody knew, and I thought that that's all there was. I was the caterpillar, and God said, now, baby, you're the worm. I've got something better for you. God has given us a new nature. In Christ, we have been redeemed. We have been transformed. We have been changed in a way that is hard to comprehend outside of the miraculous work of God. What an incredible gift we've been given. But you know what? Ephesians 2.10 says that that's not the only gift we've been given. The second one, second declaration I want you to have this morning is that I have a new ability in Christ, a new ability. So notice here what the Apostle Paul says in verse number 10. He says, we have been created anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that God planned for us long ago. Like, I think this is an important perspective to keep in mind because too often we think in terms of what we cannot do. That's how we define ourselves, by what I can't do. I wish I could, but I can't. And that becomes kind of the identity that we take on. So I might say, oh, I'm going to consider my limitations here. And I'm like, yep, five, six, that's all I'm ever going to be. The minute somebody sees me, they're like, well, that dude is short, right? Like, I've had friends online that I met in real life And I'm like, the first thing they're going to think when they meet me is like, bro, I thought you were taller than this. I don't know. It's just how it goes. I know I'm not alone in this. There are times where you think to yourself, first thing they notice about me is my size, my weight, the way I speak, my disability, my ethnic background, whatever it might be. You're afraid that that's what people see when they see you. You take on your limitation as your identity. We obsess about missed opportunities. I was talking with a guy this week, and he, I said, how are you doing? And he said, well, not doing very good. I'm like, oh, okay, wasn't expecting that. What's going on? And uh, he said, you know, at the start of this week, I had the chance to invest in a stock, and I decided not to do it, and it nearly tripled this week. And I'm kicking myself. I'm so mad at myself because I should have done it. And now I've missed that opportunity. We define ourselves by missed opportunities. We focus on doors that were shut. We say, uh, the company I wanted to get hired by, they didn't hire me. I mean, there's another company, but they're only half as good and, you know, whatever. And so we focus, we define ourselves by these missed opportunities or by a lack of resources. You know, people will say, I want to live generously. I want to be one of those people that helps others in need. But like, I don't have enough resources myself. I'm barely making ends meet. If we're not careful, we can frame our life negatively instead of positively. We can define ourselves by what we can't do rather than what God says we can do. Now, look, I'm I'm not here to tell you that if you accept God into your life, you will be able to do anything and everything you want. Everything will go well for you. There's nothing that you couldn't possibly achieve or accomplish. That's not true, okay? There's always going to be limitations. We don't become Superman simply because we accept Jesus into our lives. However, the things that God has ordained for you to do, you can do them. That is part of the new ability that he has given you in Christ. I talk to people as a pastor, and you know, they often share with me like difficult things that they're going through. It's part of my job, right? And I'll talk to people that have addictions or habits 
or they've been a part of family generational cycles. And they really have trouble even visualizing a future in which they are free from their past. You understand what I'm saying? But what Paul says here in Ephesians 2 is that we have been given a new nature. And part of this new nature is the ability to do what Romans 12 says. That is to lay aside the sins that so easily entangle us and to run with perseverance the race that God has marked out for us. You are not who you used to be, therefore you don't have to do the things that you used to do. Are you with me? You've been given something new. Hey, after the first service, some of y'all are not hyped enough over this. I'm going to just tell you straight up. Because after the first service, somebody came up to me, and they were like electric, like giddy. And I'm like, you good, bro? Everything good? <laughs> What's going on here? And he said, listen, I need you to know something. The whole message was great, Dan. I loved it, blah, 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 blah. But that middle section, when you talked about ability, that was exactly what I needed to hear, and I needed to tell you something. My family has, this is a true story. After today's service, he said, my family has battled alcohol abuse my entire life. They still battle with it. And he said, I have not told anybody this, but after the message today, I feel the need to say it to somebody. I'm six months sober today. He said, I feel like I have a new ability. I didn't used to have the ability to say no, but today I do. In Christ, I can do the good things that he planned for me to do. One of my favorite verses, Romans chapter number eight, verse 37, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Second Peter 1, 3, Peter writes, God has given us everything we need to live a life that pleases him. No matter what people might have said about you in the past, your identity in Christ is not one who can't, it is one who can. It's not defined by your limitations, it is defined by our infinite God. Your dad might have told you that you would amount to nothing, your ex might have said you can't give her what she needs, your coach might have said you're not good enough to be on the team, but in Jesus, you can do the good things that he has designed you to do. So, in Jesus, I can forgive. You need to tell yourself that. You need to combat the lie. Oh, I could never let go of that. I could never forgive them for that. You combat the falsehood with the truth. You combat a wrong identity with the right identity. So instead of saying, I can never forgive them, you say, you're right. My old nature cannot forgive them, but I've been given a new nature with new abilities in Christ. I can forgive. In Jesus, I can find love. In Jesus, I can overcome my addictions. In Jesus, I can have healthy friendships. In Jesus, I can make an eternal difference. On my own, I can't, but I know that in Jesus, I can. My friends, you ought to be thanking God right now that he has given you a new nature with new abilities. So the things that used to define you, the things that used to enslave you are not a part of your life anymore. At least they don't have to be. Last thing. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2.10 that in Christ, I have a new plan, a new plan. So he starts by saying, you've got a new nature. He says, you have a new ability. And then finally, he says, I have a new plan. Notice here, <clears throat> he says, God created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned. There is a plan. He planned for us long ago. Everybody has plans for their life, you guys. I do, you do. We've all got plans. And sometimes things go perfectly according to plan. Don't you love those days? You're like, everything worked out. 
It's so rare, though. <laughs> it's like they stand out because they're so few and far between. The majority of the time, life does not go according to plan. My plans are full of all of these detours and dead ends. And there have been a couple of times where I've been completely derailed by following my plans. But the Apostle Paul says here at the end of this verse that part of being God's masterpiece means that he has a good plan for you to discover and to live out. Now, the, the specifics of the plan are different from person to person. So God's specific plan for me is going to be a bit different than it is for you or for you or for you, okay? But there are some things that are generally true. They're true always of everybody when it comes to God's plan for their life. And I want to highlight a few of them for you. We can put them here on the screen. Um, first, I need to point out that when I say I have a new plan, what I'm really saying is now I recognize God has a plan. It's me getting on board with God's plan for my life that changes things. So we read in the scripture, Romans chapter number 8, verse 29, that God's plan it, uh, is to make me more like Jesus. Romans 8, 29 says that we are destined to be conformed to the image of his son. We read secondly in Jeremiah 29, 11, that God's plans are to prosper us and not to harm us. His plans are to give us a hope and a future, according to that verse. In Ephesians 2, 7, we read that God's plans impact not just the here and now, but also the hereafter. His plans are to change us now and to change us then. They impact earth and eternity. Proverbs 19, 21, the, the scripture tells us that in the end, God's plans cannot fail. His plans cannot fail. My, vans can, my plans can definitely fail. They have failed a time or two this week. Um, but God's plans, God's plans cannot fail. So here now, God has given you this gift of a plan, a pattern that you can live according to that will make you more like Jesus, will make you prosperous, will impact both earth and eternity, and it's a, it's a plan that's never, ever going to be letting you down. So you might be wondering, well, if this plan is so great, how come not everybody gets on board with it, right? It's like, why doesn't everybody just embrace God's plan? And here's the truth. It's an uncomfortable truth, but here it is. In order to accept God's plan for my life, I have to let go of my plan for my life. That's what it comes down to. You can't have, oh, thanks, guys. <clears throat> you can't have multiple paths to the same destination. You got to choose one, okay? You have to choose. You can go this route or you can go that route if you want to get over there. It's the same thing when it comes to following God. Either I'm going to follow my plans and ways or I'm going to follow God's plans and God's ways, all right? Um, so what we, what we have to consider here when we think about God's plan and what he does for us is that um, in order to embrace and accept his plan, we've got to let go of our own. So there's a very kind of like famous statement. People don't like actively live by it, but I think it defines like the zeitgeist of our time, right? The statement is to thine own self be true, right? The idea here is it's like you need to decide what you value in life, what you want to accomplish, who you want to be, and then go get it, baby. Hustle and grind. You can do anything you want to. And listen, we have this idea that at some point in our past, maybe in our teenage years or our 20s or something like that, that we designed a perfect, custom, bespoke, unique, personal plan for ourselves, and it's like, I'm the captain of this ship, baby, and I'm choosing where I'm going and what I'm doing. It's like we think somehow we came up with this. But in reality, if you give it even a cursory glance, do you know what you realize? 
We are all simply following a pattern or a template that's been handed to us by the culture. We're not making up our own plans. We're simply borrowing plans from the media or the government or where our friends, okay? Seriously, you just have to pay a little bit of attention. Like despite our supposed values of self-determination and individualism, everybody seems to be living according to the same five or six life plans. It's like there are these archetypes and all of us tend to fit into them. So you're either on the career life plan or you're on the family life plan or you're on the travel blogger life plan or you're on the you know pleasure life plan or the you can't tell me what to do life plan plan. We're all basically fitting into the same set of molds time after time. Why is it that every member of Gen Z dresses like Billie Eilish? Why does every millennial want to be an entrepreneur? Why is every Gen Xer sarcastic? Why does every boomer need to speak to the manager? Why does every pastor wear J's on Sundays? Because... We're following a pattern that's been handed to us by the culture at large. We don't even realize it. We convince ourselves, ooh, I got a good plan for me, baby. My plan looks like your plan. There's like barely any difference between the two if we start considering it. So catch this. The reason I go through all of this is because I want you to understand something. I said a moment ago that you cannot fully embrace God's plans until you fully let go of your own plans, okay? But here's the deal. You're actually not letting go of your plans, you're letting go of the template or pattern that's been handed to you by the world. It's never your plan in the first place. You've always been a follower. You've always been a sheep. I love you. I, you're amazing and wonderful and unique. I get it. But we're all following some template or pattern. Nobody's really blazing their own trail when we get right down to it. So the question then is whose pattern are we going to follow? Which plan are we going to live out? The, the, the scripture warns us against this in the book of Romans. This is what it says. Don't follow the patterns and plans of this world. Instead, let God continue to transform you into a new person. He's given you a new nature. You have a new identity. He's given that to you. So cooperate. Work with him. Okay? Live out his pattern and plan. That's the whole goal. When we come to Jesus... We're not giving up our own plans. We're giving up the world's plans. And in return, we get something that's even more meaningful to live for. You guys, this gift of identity, it is so incredible. Like truly, it's, it's a very, very meaningful gift. It's a little bit like a, a Russian nesting doll. Do you know what those are? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know, the little wooden doll and you open it and there's a littler doll inside and then you open it and there's a littler doll inside of that. Or maybe to use a more current example, like the gift of God of identity that we're talking about here, it's a little bit like when Jim gave Pam the teapot in the first season, you know, and he's like, this is a great gift because it comes with other gifts. It's like you open the gift that God has given you and there are more gifts and more gifts and more gifts. I've been given the gift of new identity, but boop, it's not just the gift of identity, it's the gift of a new nature, and bloop. Oh, it's not just the gift of a new nature, it's also the gift of new abilities, and bloop. It's not just the gift of new abilities, it's also the gift of a new plan. God gives, and he gives, and he gives. His gifts are good. Why then do we overlook them? Why do we ignore them? Why do we leave them unwrapped under the tree or on the table? such a tragedy. So here's what I want to do as we wrap up. I want to ask you three questions for reflection. These are questions that you answer to yourself. You don't have to share the answer with your neighbor, okay? This is just between you and God. Actually, it's just between you and you because God already knows the answers anyway, but okay, here we go. First question. Ask yourself, what lies about my identity 